Hi, how you getting on? Are you ready for another episode? It's time to sit back, relax, and be inspired by trials of a sofa surfer. this week's podcast. Thanks to all those who have taken the time to subscribe uh, and to download and listen to what it is we have to say. At times you wonder, uh, and I'm sure it's the same for many podcasters out there, if anyone cares about what it is that you want to say or they're listening. But when I look at the, the stats each week, I'm really encouraged that there's an audience out there for what it is that we're doing. So thanks to each and every one of you. I really appreciate it. Today we have a different type of guest. David Kidd is a person with lived experience who has moved on and found a position of influence, authority and respect. David is a voice for those who do not have a voice. And as you'll hear, he has a real passion for those who he represents. He's currently working with GHA, which is the Glasgow Homeless Network, and his role is diverse and ever-changing. He is also a big music fan, as you'll hear, and we enjoyed talking about that. We discussed many topics, but there were some we missed, so David's promised me a part two later in the year, and I'm going to hold him to it. Today, though, you'll hear about Harsag, I We Can, no Wrong Door, Rapid Rehousing, and Housing First. Words and acronyms you may have heard about, but are never sure what they really were. So sit back, relax, grab a coffee, and enjoy a conversation with David Kidd. That sounds good to me. And, uh, you know, that's the beauty of doing things like podcasts, isn't it? I mean, you've got all of that. Like you, you don't have to take your first take. <laughs> you can you can waffle on and cut bits out. It's brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> but hopefully that will not happen today. Aye, aye, exactly, exactly. Very much. <laughs> so thanks for bringing the rain. Aye, yep, yep. What can I say? Appreciate that. What can I say? I'd, uh, uh, it follows me. <laughs> like that character out of Peanuts. Yeah, yeah. Cloud, cloud above your head. <laughs> so uh, David, David Kidd. Welcome. Thanks, Brian. Uh, and you're the change lead at the Homeless Network. One of four, yeah. One of four. Uh, so we've recently uh, reshuffled how we do things. Uh, so I was a development coordinator previously, uh, but uh, on the back of all of the Homelessness and Rough Sleeping Action Group recommendations and the subsequent action plan from Scottish Government ending homelessness together, uh, it's now time to actually implement some of the development that's been done, I suppose, over the last kind of, well, how far back do you want to go? <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's been a number of years. I mean, I've been doing this now for, uh, it'll be nine years in July. Well. Uh, so, I for my sins. It's <laughs> so, so how did you get into it in the first place? So, I uh, always wanted a job that was about helping people. Uh, so, my background's in sales. Uh, I used to work in 
various types of sales. I did door to door for a while. I did uh, tele sales. I did um, various other as 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 seems to be a rite of passage in Glasgow. I worked in various call centres. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, decided I got I'd had enough of uh, lining somebody else's pockets and wanted to do something that was actually of value to people. Uh, so I applied for a job working for Glasgow Homeless Network and. Um, that was the first job I'd applied for and I got it. Wow. Uh, and the rest is history, as they say. So how long had that been since you, say, I don't know, out of school, university, college? So I um, left school end of fifth year uh, and kind of bumbled about a bit, basically. Uh, went to college, tried out some things at college, didn't really get on with any of them. Uh, went back to do college at uh, a place called New Battle Abbey, which is an adult residential college through just outside Edinburgh. Um, it was it was amazing actually, um, but I, I decided that 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 formal learning wasn't for me, uh, and decided I would go and do my own thing instead. Uh, so various jobs doing various types of sales. As mm-hmm. I said, I worked in the. You don't want to see my CV. It probably wouldn't fit in this <laughs> studio, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Jack of all trades, master of none, I think they call it. Yeah, But um, I eventually, when I was about, uh, well, nine years ago, uh, so 26, 27, something like that, I um, stumbled across a, an advert for a job as a development worker with Glasgow Homelessness Network and thought I could probably do that. Uh, I was homeless myself when I was younger uh, mm. from... 19 to 21 or something like that just okay. um, bounced about people's couches and all the rest of it and was very fortunate in that I was able to uh, rely on the, the uh, support I was uh, able to get from friends and family members and all the rest of it and um, wanted to do something that uh, used some of that experience uh, to hopefully help other people have an easier time of it going through the homelessness system in Glasgow uh, that, so, well, that's interesting. That was wasn't something I was aware of. Uh, I mean, that period of time when you were homeless. I mean, it's it's obviously shaped your life going forward, very but, much in a, so. but in a positive way. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. I mean, at the time, don't get me wrong, it was it was not that positive. <laughs> it rarely is, though. Let's face it. Um, and but yeah, as I say, I wanted to to um, use that for the betterment of uh, the, the rest of the kind of systems and processes that we have in, in Glasgow around about homelessness. So that's basically what I've been doing for the last nine years. So the, the organisation I work for, um, the Homeless Network, are an umbrella organisation. So we, are, we don't provide services as such. We're a, a membership organisation for all of the other services that, that do provide um, support to people in Glasgow. Um, and it's... It's been a really rewarding job. I, I I love it. I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. I don't exactly get out of bed and skip into the office every day or anything like Who that. Does? <laughs> exactly, exactly. But uh, I I really enjoy what I do. I find it really fulfilling. And and uh, particularly in the last couple of years or so, it seems as though we're making some real progress, uh, some real inroads into um, dismantling some of the parts of the system that we've built up over decades that um, just don't work for people. And we're now reaching a point where, uh, well, with any luck, over the, the kind of next uh, five or so years, with the, the um, political will and support that we have, the um, additional funding that's been made available, the um, action plan from the Scottish Government as well, yeah. we're, we're hopefully going to end up in a position where we have 
a, a system for homelessness in Scotland that actually does work for people uh, and uh, that the experiences of homelessness that people have are um, rare, brief and non-recurrent. Um, and ideally, that's where we'd like to end up. So in the, in the past nine years, what changes to this point have you seen that, are, that have been good changes? <laughs> uh, there's there's some who might tell you it's night and day. <laughs> um, uh, some really, really positive stuff. Uh, we, we've seen a lot more uh, collaboration and partnership working, which is something that my, my job prior to this was um, about participation and, and co-production. Uh, and uh, when I first started working in homelessness, it was um, more difficult than it is now uh, to convince people of the value that people with lived experiences can bring uh, to any topic, not just homelessness, but any topic. Um, whereas now I get requests from people to, to help them to understand what it is that um, people with lived experiences think about a particular topic that they are concentrating on or um, how they might be able to uh, make better use of of uh, the information that they can get from yeah. uh, people that have gone through it themselves. Fantastic. Which always, uh, is, is this gift that you're talking about uh, through uh, that? Is that one, partly? One yeah, partner? partly. I mean, um, when we when I first started, I mean, my my history at, at GHN has been mostly about, uh, as I say, participation, co-production, co-design, um, co-facilitation, and yeah, all of the other co's. <laughs> for, for, for those who and and you know, I might work myself in the, uh, don't work uh, in the sector. Yeah, who, yeah. <laughs> what does all these kind of words mean? So uh, participation is is a process of involving uh, people in the decisions and actions that affect their lives. Um, Co-production is about, um, it's basically a stage beyond that. Uh, so it's about uh, people participating in the decisions and actions that affect their lives and then actually carrying out some of the actions themselves yeah. and having an equal sharing of the power within this, um, whatever the situation is. Uh, so who, would, who has been involved so in terms of uh, co-production processes, yeah. the, the who we talk about involving are um, people people with lived experience, crucially. Uh, we also talk about the, the perspectives that can be brought from all of the other people that work in and around about a topic. So if we're, we're using homelessness as the example, then yeah. uh, we have academics that are involved in, in um, research and, and work around about homelessness. We have people that design policies uh, around about homelessness, whether that be at local government or national government level. Uh, we also have, um, crucially, frontline staff uh, as a, another group that are often uh, not listened to or severely underrepresented in the discussions around about homelessness. Uh, we also have uh, people at your level as well, service management level, and, and basically anybody that has a an interest in and a perspective on uh, the topic. So also, uh, that includes people who live in, in the communities around, um, around about. So if we talk about uh, geographic communities like the community of Glasgow or, or thematic communities, which could be the community of people experiencing homelessness and, and the people related to them or yeah. uh, anybody who might be kind of tangentially related in any way to homelessness. So, yeah, basically anybody that, that has a, a particular view on or interest in or perspective on the topic that we're talking about. So when, when was... Uh, GHN set up? So GHN have been around since uh, the 80s. Um, it was uh, originally called something different, so we've, we've gone through a, a rebranding process in the past. 
Um, it was well before my time, though, so my, my knowledge around <laughs> that is fairly limited. Uh, it, it began just before I was born, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's a while ago. Uh, but GHN, as a, an organisation, have always had a, a focus on uh, not only representing our, our members in terms of um, the, the services that provide support to people experiencing homelessness, but also on uh, bringing people into the conversations that we have around about the topics. Uh, so particularly those with lived experience and uh, those working in the front lines, because as, as I say, they're um, usually severely underrepresented in the discussions that are being had. And um, I mean, nobody knows better what it's like to actually use a service than somebody that's been there using that service. Yeah. Uh, I, I sometimes use an example of participation is a bit like um, being surveyed by your bank or by a supermarket or something like that. Corporate entities do it all the time because they need to make sure that their services and their products are fit for purpose. Otherwise, people won't buy them. Um, why should it be any different in terms of social services? So um, the, the customers, if you like, from that perspective are, are the people that are using our services. Uh, and uh, their view um, is, is crucial, I think, to actually making Absolutely. sure that the services that we're able to provide are fit for purpose and that uh, I'd mentioned previously we, we are hoping to create circumstances through this system change process where experiences of homelessness are, are um, rare, brief and non-recurrent. Yeah. And um, the only way you can do that is by listening to the people who have been there themselves to understand what would have helped them. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's effectively been the focus of my job since I started um, doing this type of work. So the current changes that are in the process have been implemented. Um, what's your thought on the? I, I guess from what you're saying that, that, that you very, pretty much agree with them. Very positive. Very, positive. Uh, very, very positive. So uh, we had a couple of years ago now, uh, there was a, a group set up called the Homelessness and Rough Sleeping Action Group at um, Scottish government level. Uh, it was a, made up of people uh, usually in fairly senior positions from a, a range of different homelessness uh, service providers, lobbying groups um, and other homelessness organisations or homelessness focused organisations. Uh, their role was about looking at what could be done to improve homelessness services for people in the country. Uh, so as part of that process, um, the Homeless Network ran a project called I We Can. So I We Can was uh, the the lived experience component of the Homelessness and Rough Sleeping Action Group, if you like. So we spoke to uh, 425 people with lived experiences of homelessness across all of Scotland, uh, with the exception of one local authority area. <laughs> uh, I normally mention who it is, but as this is being broadcast, <laughs> I, I maybe won't this time. <laughs> but uh, as a result of the beast from the east, it wasn't anything that they had done wrong. It was because of the, the horrendous weather in Scotland that we couldn't actually get up to go and talk to the people we wanted to. Yeah. Uh, so 425 people who had lived experience of homelessness across the entire country uh, and um, gathered messages from them about what they would like to see changed and how they thought that the uh, the system could be improved in terms of homelessness. So the, the Homelessness and Rough Sleeping Action Group were set uh, a number of questions, three questions. Uh, one was around about how to uh, alleviate some of the issues around about rough sleeping for that 
particular winter that was uh, just about to begin. Yeah. So this the, the group was set up in September or October two years ago. Uh, and they... Uh, the other questions that they were set were how to eradicate rough sleeping in, in Scotland generally across all local authority areas uh, and how to how to improve uh, temporary accommodation uh, across the country uh, and how to end homelessness in Scotland altogether. Uh, sounds ambitious. Uh, by, by ending homelessness, uh, we don't necessarily mean that nobody will ever become homeless again because clearly that's not feasible people people relationships will still break down people will still have issues people will still young people will still um get kicked out by their parents and and all of these things will still happen so that's not what we mean by ending homelessness what we mean by ending homelessness is that if the systems and processes that we have in place work as they should do meaning that when somebody does become homeless they don't end up trapped in a homelessness system that's not fit for purpose as uh, often happens just now will the point of contact change in terms of, as you're saying, you know, someone who's maybe kicked out by their parents or, you know, that a relationship breaks down. Someone who has never been in the system, how is that going to work? Uh, so there's a, a one of the recommendations or a group of the recommendations actually focus on uh, something that has been termed no wrong door as, as an approach. Uh, so effectively what that means is that um, regardless of which service it is that the, the person initially presents at, uh, they should at the very least be able to be referred on to the correct service for the issues that they're experiencing. Uh, Often that doesn't happen just now. Often if somebody goes to present at a service and it's not necessarily the correct one, uh, they will be told that that's not us, go and find somebody else. Uh, And that's not through anybody's fault in particular, it's just the way that we've set up the system. Uh, So the no wrong door approach uh, will create a set of circumstances where uh, regardless of what service somebody goes to present at initially, uh, they will be listened to and uh, at the very least be directed to the correct place, uh, if not um, have having some of the, the information passed on uh, directly by the staff member to the <coughs> other place. One of the, the most prevalent issues that people talk about when... Um, I ask questions about what's wrong with the homelessness system is that uh, people have to repeat their stories hundreds and hundreds of times often uh, until they they find the correct service for them and and get the the correct supports put in place, which effectively is tantamount to reliving the trauma of the experiences that they've had in the first place. Uh, And and, uh, from what we're starting to understand now about trauma, um, it's... That, that only further entrenches some of the issues that they maybe already have experienced. And that, I mean, it's not good. It's definitely not good. And if we can put in place systems, that, I mean, we have the technology now to put in place systems that, that mean that there shouldn't be a need for any of that. Uh, that's one of the other sets of recommendations, in fact, that's being looked at by um, the from the HARSAG report and uh, or HARSAG reports uh, and also came out of I We Can actually uh, about making sure that we're able to count better uh, the, the number of people that are actually experiencing homelessness. Um, so there's a, a 
options appraisal being done currently by the Centre for Homelessness Impact on a monitoring system to better understand, um, initially it was to better understand the numbers around about rough sleeping in Scotland, but uh, the, the scope has potentially been expanded actually just to, to look at um, all people experiencing homelessness so that there's a system in place whereby somebody tells their story once it gets captured they then own that information mm-hmm. and can release the parts of it that are um, relevant relevant to whoever the service yeah. is that they're approaching in the first place uh, okay. without having to retell the entire thing to, sure. to make sure that they get the relevant bits so we hear things like Rapid rehousing and housing first. What do these mean? You know, what's what's it in real terms, and and how is that going to impact the city, and impact services like like yourselves? You know, supported accommodation. So, rapid rehousing and housing first um, are two sides of the same coin. Basically, rapid rehousing approaches include housing first. Uh, so, a rapid rehousing approach is basically exactly as it sounds. It's uh, about getting people into their own settled permanent tenancies as quickly so, so as possible. W- which which people are, are these? Are these people who are rough sleeping? Uh, people so who are in rapid rehousing approaches are for or? everybody that is experiencing homelessness. Uh, instead of somebody bouncing about homelessness services for um, days, weeks, months, sometimes years at a time, uh, they are put into uh, their uh, their own permanent settled tenancy as quickly as possible. So, so, so how does that work? Because I'm, I'm trying to get it into my head. So we have, you know, uh, 11 tenants here who are mm-hmm. technically homeless, but they're in supported accommodation and it's it's for a, a, a finite time. Do you come and pluck that person out of that flat and say, right, we now have accommodation for you in another part of the city and, uh, you know, lift them up and place them there? Uh, so all of these approaches are... Uh, one of the founding principles of all of this stuff is about putting more control and power back into the hands of the actual person who's experiencing homelessness. At the moment, the vast majority of the control and power lies with other people. Uh, So all of these types of approaches um, and threaded throughout all of the the recommendations that HARSAG made and uh, the Ending Homelessness Together Action Plan is around about redressing that power imbalance and making sure Mm -hmm. that somebody who's experiencing homelessness it has much more autonomy and much more uh, of a say in what actually their experience looks like uh, and and how uh, they want to end it. Uh, so for some people, uh, they will still have a preference uh, of going into somewhere like this uh, where there is that kind of 24-hour-a-day support and assistance available. Uh, for others, what they want is just to move through the homelessness system as quickly as possible and get into their own tenancy. Uh, And for other groups, there um, is this housing first that you mentioned. So housing first is uh, like rapid rehousing, but with uh, uh, some additional supports involved. So basically housing first is, uh, well, my colleague is probably better to tell you about this, given that he's the project manager for the uh, Housing First Pathfinder project in Scotland. But effectively housing first is about um, getting people into their own permanent tenancies as quickly as possible and then building a support package around about them that meets their needs. Uh, so the very first part of a, a Housing First process is about understanding uh, what might the person want, yeah. what types of support do they actually want, how often do they want it, uh, what days do they want it, what time of day do they want it, what um, 
and the the as I say, the power and control rests with that individual. So if in the the first instance, once somebody's moved into their permanent tenancy, they decide they want uh, support every day, uh, twice a day, even, uh, then that's what will happen. So who, who will supply that support? Uh, at the moment, uh, there are five Pathfinder projects across five cities. Uh, so each of those cities has a support consortium uh, made up of a, a, a collective of organisations who are the, the ones who are become the support providers for individuals. Each, uh, each city has um, a different support consortium made up of different people, different organisations, uh, and their staff team... Uh, are made up of Housing First key workers uh, who are the ones that provide the primary support and care to the individuals um, who had experienced homelessness. As I say, my, my colleague, uh, Doug, is, is probably better placed to talk to you about Housing First than I am, given that he's the um, coordinator or the uh, project manager of the Housing First Pathfinder project across these five cities. The... Each city has a, a support consortium uh, made up of different services that are the ones that provide support to the individuals. Um, within that, they have key workers, and the, the maximum number of uh, people that a key worker will support is seven, uh, which means that they have much more time and um, resource to be able to spend with individuals, which, which allows for that kind of uh, support to happen um, at any time of day. And You and know what I'm going to ask, don't you? Is that a fantasy number or is, is it going to be reality? So for the Pathfinder project, that is the reality. Uh, the, the contract stipulates that there, there are not going to be any more. And, and in actual fact, currently as it stands, each key worker has their own support worker. So it's actually three and a half people uh, to a person or a worker, if you like. Mm -hmm. um, as, as the project expands, the, the point in the Pathfinder project is to work out how this will work in each of these cities. The the reason that the, the five cities were, were uh, chosen, I suppose, is because they, they all have different makeups. So the, the point in the Housing First Pathfinder projects is to look at how it works across all of these different areas. So one of the, uh, Glasgow is one of the cities. We've, we've got a very, very complex housing situation in Glasgow. We've got yeah. 68 or 69 different housing associations, each with their own allocations policy and different housing lists and different referral procedures and all the rest of it. Um, Edinburgh is one of the other cities. Their, their makeup of accommodation is completely different from the makeup of accommodation we have here. So in Glasgow, we actually have enough permanent accommodation uh, through uh, registered social landlords for... Uh, everybody, whereas in Edinburgh, there's uh, less clarity around about whether that's actually the case or not. Also in Edinburgh, the, the temporary accommodation that uh, they have through there is largely uh, of bed and breakfast type, uh, which, um, as as we all know, is, is really not suitable for people. I mean, um, one of the other Harsag recommendations actually was about expanding the uh, unsuitable accommodation order uh, to all groups of people rather than uh, the, the kind of narrow focus that it had previously, uh, which uh, will effectively mean that um, nobody experiencing homelessness should have to spend any more than seven days in what's considered to be unsuitable accommodation. And that includes bed and breakfast. Uh, Talking about the, the accommodation, you know, there's en enough suitable accommodation for everyone in, in the city. I was kind of going back to, obviously, this uh, the, the rapid rehousing or... or uh, housing first if I 
I'm homeless. And, and I am I'm falling within that group that needs to be rapidly rehoused. What if you put me in a part of the city I don't want to be in? So, as with um, the housing first part of that, the choice and control still rests with the individual. The individual still picks where they want to live in the city. Obviously, that's a choice within limitations. I mean, uh, the not everybody in Glasgow can live in the West End. <laughs> uh, there's limitations in terms of what, what's possible, uh, but generally there is there is enough accommodation to, to house everybody. It's accepted now. Uh, previously, we weren't entirely certain, but uh, there was a, a, a review of homelessness services happened in Glasgow. Uh, and as, along with that, there was some research to look into what the, the makeup of um, accommodation actually looks like more permanent accommodation and mm -hmm. it, it turns out that actually we do have enough permanent accommodation for people but it's like you know a number of I mean I've been doing this job here for 10 years and I there's been a number of tenants over the years who we've been sitting waiting for an, uh, maybe up to a year waiting yeah. for accommodation nothing to do with us as a service the support part had finished and you know, through the proper channels to say, right, okay, we're now section five, through section five, waiting on, waiting on accommodation, and that accommodation never arrived. Or we've had tenants who been offered accommodation, but it's, you know, it's back into the area they came from yeah. where all the problems originated. So they felt they couldn't go back there, either fearing for their lives or, you know, or fearing from... Yeah, yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. It, you I know, mean, there are sort of, many reasons why somebody yeah. might not so, want to go so, back to... So what's the difference? How will that make a difference? So if, if I have someone in this in, a, in our tenancy and you're saying, right, we're taking you out, I'm going to put you in your own flat in your own place, what's the difference? How, how is it different from a year ago when so-and-so has been waiting for a year to be housed? Uh, my colleague Claire is probably better to answer that than I am, but uh, having said that, there's... Part of the, the new uh, approach that um, is threaded throughout all of the, the HARSAG recommendations and the Ending Homelessness Together Action Plan is, is about uh, fostering much more collaboration, both uh, across homelessness services, but um, also much further afield than that as well with uh, all of the services that interact with homelessness services, including housing providers. Uh, so... Uh, at the moment, GHA are, are there. I mean, they're by far the biggest housing provider. They're the biggest social landlord in Europe, actually, I believe. Um, and they provide 45% uh, of their lets to people experiencing homelessness. Um, that isn't the same with some of the, the other housing associations. Um, and part of what um, the action plans look to do is uh, to, to foster that kind of much more collaborative approach uh, to, to working with um, anybody that's experiencing homelessness. As an organisation who, you know, promote ending homelessness and, and we you know, actively help people out of homelessness and um, support them in that, we, you know, thoroughly welcome you know, all the sort of changes that are coming and, uh, you know, it's been about time, to be honest. <laughs> Couldn't agree more, Brian. <laughs> um, but obviously there's going to be a certain amount of people there that it won't work for yes and they'll always fall back and it's, so what's going to happen to them what provisions being made for them 
So the all of this stuff is is for everybody. Uh, so the the purpose behind all of these changes is to to make the system that we do have much more robust and to remove some of the gaps that currently exist where uh, people for whom these types of interventions might not work the first time uh, traditionally in the past or historically have have maybe fallen through some of those cracks if you like part of the the point in a lot of these recommendations and um plans that have come off of the back of them are are to remove some of those gaps or, or well hopefully all of those gaps so that if somebody tries something once and it doesn't work for them that it's not the end of the world housing first for instance has uh, all of the evidence we have on it globally suggests that it works for between 80 and 90 percent of people which is a, a significantly higher percentage yeah. than than any of the other types of interventions that we currently have just now uh, but there is still that X percentage of people for whom it's not necessarily the best option or it's not necessarily going to work this time around. Yeah. Uh, the point in all of this stuff, though, is not to give up on somebody until uh, they, we find a solution that does work. Yeah. So they're not, they're not going to be... I think the fear, speaking to a lot of people in, 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 in these uh, circumstances, are, are, they'll be placed in a part of the city where they don't know anyone. Yeah where they're, they're isolated um, and, and the support will be infrequent. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they pop out to the shops for 10 minutes and then they, they and turn to it. find a card in the door saying, oh, sorry, you've missed, <laughs> you've missed your support. I've, uh, I've heard a really good example used in the past of uh, floating support or housing support being people that come to chap your door with a feather. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm sure you've heard some of the other rumours that are floating about as well, which, which are, are pretty disturbing. Yes. Very much so, um, very much so. Yeah, that's um, a concern. But uh, in saying that, the um, purpose of Housing First is, is not to do any of that stuff. And the choice and control begins from the moment the referral is made. Uh, so the person will be referred will, uh, only if they wish. So it's for some people, uh, they, they may prefer to go to rehab first, for instance. And, and that's perfectly okay. I mean, there's, there's no... Um, that's not a necessity that somebody is is not using substances to qualify for housing first. That's not a thing. Um, the evidence tells us actually that that um, people with really complex needs um, benefit the most from housing first. Yeah. Um, but uh, in saying that, the choice and control actually begins right right from the very beginning of the process. So if they if they decide that they want to do something else first, then by all means. Um, that that doesn't mean that they they are disqualified, or uh, in fact, there's no such thing as disqualification from housing yeah, first. Yeah. That that's that's the point. <laughs> yeah. uh, people keep keep coming and keep trying until it um, it works, or you you say no, I don't want it anymore. So when we end homelessness and all, all is good <laughs> in, in the world, brave new world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what would David be up to next? Uh, Good question. I'd probably move somewhere else and do the same again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a very good question. I, I, I think uh, we're probably a while away. What we're doing just now, we're we're only just beginning to embark upon the the journey of uh, working towards ending homelessness. I think there'll be a um, a lot to learn and a lot to get right along the way, uh, and at the moment. Um, we've got plans in place over the next five years 
Uh, where we go after that will depend on on what the progress we can make over the next five years looks like. Uh, so, ten years down the track, no idea, no idea. Very good question. <laughs> you, you said earlier yourself you experienced homelessness. Yes. Is this something at the time you'd wish had been in place? Do you think it would have? You'd have recognised it. At the time while I was homeless, I didn't know I was homeless. <laughs> um, it wasn't till uh, further down the road that I understood that um, crashing on people's couches when they don't want you there is, is um, well, homelessness, effectively. Uh, so it wasn't till much further down the road uh, that, that I actually understood what it was. So that's an interesting point. You didn't know you were homeless. Yeah. Didn't have a clue. So didn't how clue. will you get to know these people who are and who don't know? So this is uh, this was something that came out of uh, the I We Can work that we did. Uh, people with lived experience of homelessness wanted to make sure that we get much better at counting homelessness because uh, almost without exception, the people we spoke to were uh, aware of, of people that are not counted in any of our numbers anywhere. Yeah. Uh, and that's partially what led to one of the recommendations or some of the recommendations for a, a national monitoring system like the one being worked or the, the options appraisal currently being worked on by the Centre for Homelessness Impact. Um, the true reality of homelessness, I mean, we have we have some of the most progressive homelessness legislation in the world in Scotland. There's, there's all sorts of ways that you can be um, considered to be legally homeless in Scotland. Uh, my my favourite one of them is that if you're normally resident on a boat and you've got nowhere to moor your boat, then you are legally homeless in the eyes of the law in okay. Scotland. <laughs> that was actually one of my questions on my, my wee pad here. What is homelessness, and how do you? You know what? You know what is legally? What is homelessness? In so fact, and someone asked me that question uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, building up to doing the podcast, and and they said, "Well." What is homelessness? Legally, what is yeah, it? Yeah. And I thought, well, that's a good question. So it is. Uh, and uh, lots of people are, are totally unaware of, of uh, what it actually, what, what constitutes homelessness in Scotland. There's a myriad of different ways that you can be legally considered to be homeless in Scotland. There's tons and tons of them. Um, there's the, the obvious ones, like if you're, uh, you, you, you're roofless, you have nowhere uh, no roof over your head at all. You have yeah. to sleep rough. Then you're you're obviously homeless. But there's a whole range of other ways that you can be considered to be homeless in Scotland. So you could be homeless if um, your premises are overcrowded. Uh, so you you've got a house, but there are too many people staying there. Yeah. Uh, you can be legally homeless if uh, you're got a, a tenancy, but it's below a tolerable standard. So if you've got lots of uh, damp and no work running water or anything like that, then you're legally homeless. Um, if you um, if you normally live in a, a caravan, you've got nowhere to park your caravan, you're legally homeless. Same as the boat. Yep, exactly, exactly. Uh, if and, you, I, and I guess a car would be the same. Yep, I, absolutely, absolutely. Um, there's, yeah, there's a huge spectrum of different ways. Like I say, we've got um, some of the most progressive homelessness legislation in the world in Scotland uh, and uh, a, a huge spectrum of different ways where you could yeah. be considered to be homeless. It doesn't just mean that you don't have a roof over your head. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, we're almost coming to the end, David, so I appreciate your time. Um, but you're, you're a bit of your music, man. 
it's been said, I suppose. It's been said. I uh, I like to uh, mostly what I listen to though is electronic music of various varieties. I I like to Child DJ. Aye, yeah, I think that's <laughs> it. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I I DJ a bit. I, I dabble in in like kind of music production type stuff. I do, I've yeah, various bits and pieces of stuff. Um, it's like David Guetta. Oh God, no! <laughs> <laughs> uh, much as I respect what he does, and uh, that's not. I for only me. saw him there because uh, I, I remember my, my wife and I were in Ibiza, and we were standing my, out there. My spiritual at, home, Ishwire at the yep. hotel. You know, he was playing there, and uh, my daughter was very jealous, and we took a photograph of us standing outside listening to it. Yeah. I, that's uh, yeah, like I say, it's my spiritual home, Ibiza. <laughs> I'm yeah. there fairly regularly. Um, I've been, I've been known to I, um, spend the odd week in Ibiza. <laughs> Fantastic! Ah, it's a great place, though. It's a beautiful island. So, can we listen to any of your tracks? How do we do that? Uh, I've got a SoundCloud page. It's uh, SoundCloud. Uh, if you search DDDM on SoundCloud, M for Mike. Fantastic! That's, Check that's, it out. that's my SoundCloud. And if anybody listening to this today had some more questions on what you discussed could could they get in touch with you or very you? much so uh, so um my email address is uh, just at d uh, or in fact it's probably easier if i give you my, the shortened version you can get me on just david at ghn.org.uk brilliant david it's been a pleasure as always brian i hope you've enjoyed it yep <laughs> <laughs> the torture is over <laughs> thanks very much cheers brian Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with uh, David Kidd. Thank you, David. Very much appreciated. Uh, if you enjoyed that, or even if you didn't enjoy it and you had some queries or questions, please get in touch with us. As David said, you can contact him directly at david at ghn.org.uk. Uh, you can contact us here at The Arch or at the show, Trials of a Sofa Surfer. Uh, info at scottishchristianalliance.org.uk or via Twitter, which is at archthe uh, or via uh, our Facebook page, which is the Arch Resettlement Centre. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. I'd love to, you know, especially with this episode, I'd love to hear your comments and what you think is going on in the city, uh, in Glasgow, and no doubt... Uh, in, in the, the UK as a whole, uh, certainly Scotland, I think that's going. You're going to see some changes there, but it would be interesting to to see what you have to say. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for subscribing. Please tell your friends. Please, please, please get our name out there. Uh, I'm enjoying doing what we're doing, and uh, there seems to be a, a number of people who want to come on and chat with us. So we'll keep it going. Yeah, we'll just keep going, doing what we're doing. Um, we do need some help. and So donations would be very grateful. You can do that via our website, which is www.scottishchristianalliance.org.uk or donate via the Facebook page. I've been Brian Reid. I want to thank you for listening and... 
Till next time, stay safe and be blessed. <laughs>